0: welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process. Welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostel, and I am excited about this episode because it's something that I've never done before. We've got the triple threat. Triple threat. That means we've got three people on this podcast, so hopefully uh, they don't gang up on me, but rather than introduce them myself, I'm going to have them introduce themselves and tell us uh, who they are and what they do.
1: I'm Lois Raskushek. I'm an assistant principal at Westside High School, Um, teaching and learning curriculum, ACT, all kinds of good stuff.
2: I'm Jenny Benning. Um, I'm a dean of students here at Westside High School as well.
3: I'm Sarah Shao, and I'm an assistant principal at Westside High School.
0: So, some of you will probably notice that Sarah is a repeat guest. She's the first repeat guest on the podcast. However, I told her that, because she was trying to duck out on this, uh, I told her, no, you have to stay in here because this uh, whole format of having three people on here is uh, new and you're going to get different questions. So, ladies, I'm going to start off with just a kind of a softball. So, let me tee it up for you, okay? What... How did how did you all figure out that leadership at a school level is what you wanted to do? And any one of you can chime in. At <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I had an assistant principal who said, have you ever heard about the butterfly effect? And I was like, no. And told me about it, and he's like, I think you would be a really good school leader, and I said, I think you're really dumb, because (laughs) I loved the classroom, I loved teaching, and his rationale to me was, but you have, you can have a bigger impact, you can impact more kids, and you can impact staff to impact more students, and so I really feel like you're somebody that should pursue a leadership role, and that was, and then once I got started, I was like, oh yeah,
2: this is what I want to do.
0: Nice. Jenny,
2: how about you? Um, I think I just kind of kept falling into situations that put me in leadership roles. Um, initially right out of college, I um, had received my curriculum and instruction degree and a coworker of mine was going back for admin and I was single and young and I thought, well let me get this out of the way before I get married and have kids. And so did my administration and through that just continued to add things along the way and myself just kind of excited and liked it and so I just continued to pursue it throughout my years. I think
3: my journey happened slow um, no surprise to anyone I was labeled bossy when I was younger <laughs> so that had to I think I needed to mature into not being bossy and being more of a leader but I loved the classroom and I always found myself coming up with ideas and wanting to be able to create change um, and I felt Throughout my classroom experience, that I kind of came to a halt and be able to, being able to create that change, and so after fifteen years, I decided to kind of venture in to a leadership position to be able to impact more change outside of the classroom. I guess if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: It does. So I think the the other fascinating thing about this is uh, educators. Our education is primarily, like teachers, is primarily a female profession. There's there's more females uh, that are teachers, whereas school administration is more male-dominated. And so uh, the interesting thing about our team is we've got a nice mix of both. Why, why do you feel like, and maybe look at it from your own perspective, why do you feel like uh, females maybe shy away from these types of position or are they not shied away? They just aren't given the same type of opportunities.
2: I, I've i talked with a friend of mine a lot about this <clears throat> and I find myself like, I think as women, we often are expected or do a lot of things at home and it takes a lot of time. And I think sometimes, the fear or just the unknown of can- balancing both home and work in a leadership role. Um, teacher is safe. You get done at the same time every day. You kind of just do the same routine things, whereas administration is you re- are required for more. And so it's harder to balance home um, and work. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't
1: get into administration until my girls were in middle school. And so I had done all of the... Because it is, being a mom was the most important thing to me. Um, but when I, when they were at those ages, I felt like I could take this next step and still be a good parent, still be there for them. They didn't need me in quite the same way.
3: I just had this conversation with my daughter. I have a daughter and a son, and I think it's... Gender roles are still real. I know it's 2023, but the the pressure on especially my son to feel like he needs to make money as he's entering into college and choosing a major. Um, There is a lot of pressure on young men to make money and be the head of household. Um, And so I think that men make the jump to administration faster for that reason. And of course not to generalize, that's not true for everybody, but as a female who I was married when I became a teacher, I didn't have that financial pressure um, and so that's why it took me fifteen years to get into administration because I didn't feel that I needed to make a lot more money. Does that make sense? I hate it's, to even verbalize that, but I think for a lot of women.
0: Well, I think I it, I don't think it's necessarily gender specific on that because yeah, I got into administration because my wife was pregnant. We were going to have a kid, and I needed to make more money because my wife was making uh, working for the state of Nebraska, making in health and human services, making mm-hmm. less than what a starting teacher is, if that's if possible. That's possible. possible. But yeah, I went in there because the, the nature of education is you get the, the degrees, get you more money, whether or not you're going to use it or not. I had no intention of getting into school leadership. It, I was perfect, perfectly content teaching and coaching because that's mm-hmm. what I thought I wanted to do. But then once I got in the classes, I was hooked. So... Mm-hmm. Um, all right, now we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna shift gears on you because this is like the best part of it. Uh, so part of the own your epic process is to uh, curate and cultivate these stories that kind of help define the path that you've been on. All right, so I'd kind of like to hear from each of you, maybe. We'll start with we'll just start with one kind of personal story if you want to share like that kind of helped grow you but then also maybe one school story that ha- that you've experienced in your administrative careers that are like oh my gosh this really kind of changed me in the in how I lead and, and that sort of thing it could be student related could be staff related you can go in any order it's all about storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> Drawing a blank.
1: I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> You're thinking. Um, I think about a mom that when I was a dean, probably my first or second year as a dean, that came in and she came in and she was, her daughter had done something. Her daughter was a freshman, 15 year old little girl. And mom came in to meet with me and she was mad at her daughter because it was mom's birthday and mom was turning 30. And I was like, I just sat and did that math in my... I, I don't do math, we all know. <laughs> I was like, this is a mom that's turning 30, her daughter's... She had this, this girl of the age her daughter is now. And just to frame like what I was like at 15 and what I was like at 30 and just... When people come into your office or families or whatever, you always have to just think about... They don't know anything about my background. I don't know anything about theirs, and just, you have to be so open, you just have to take people where they are and, and go from there. You can't ever assume anything about anyone. And the mom was great, and her daughter was great, and it was fascinating when I was like, no way, are you, and she's like, oh yeah, I got pregnant with my freshman year of high school, and like, you just, the more you know about people, the more you can understand them.
0: Okay.
3: I I can jump in. This is a my first time in leadership. I was put into a position when I was really young, um, and many of the people of whom I was leading were older than me.
0: Yeah. How How old are you when you got that? How old were you when you got that leadership? Probably
3: twenty seven. Okay. Twenty eight. Um, and I was also a part of a leadership group through the state of Nebraska, and that was when uh, three hundred and sixty leadership was popular. And so I asked. My group of people like hey let's do this 360 evaluation of me i was all excited to get the information back and i learned really quickly that be careful what you ask for because you're gonna get it um and it hurt i mean i got a lot of positive feedback but we never think of that as humans we always look at at the negative in the areas for growth and i'm not kidding i probably cried for two days and it was a big changing point in me as a leader because for the first time I was very reflective and introspective and I guess I learned that I led the way I was taught to lead by leaders before me so it was very authoritarian and and that sort of a thing and it didn't work right and I learned that through this 360 evaluation and while it was a big ego blast I look back at it and I reread it often because it's it's it's, It's good to have an ego check every once in a while.
2: Um, yeah, I started my career at an alternative school, which um, was very interesting. Where Our school was set up where we had two pairs or educational assistants for each room. So it was one teacher with two EAs. And where I was at, most of the EAs at that time, if not 98% of them, were all older than me. And so I learned very quickly when I had a para that was, um, I would say, in her 60s um, and related very well to the students was in my room. It was humbling and a great learning experience on how to work with adults. And I've always believed since that day we should ask rather than tell a command. Um, So rather than telling one of my EAs or a paraprofessional to do something, I always ask. Um, In hopes that most of the time people will agree to do what you're asking of them or at least ask for help if they don't want to do it. Um, So I think that's one of the things that I really take from that time.
0: So let me circle back to something because all three of you shared stories about, you know, these things that have impacted the way that you lead. I want to talk about assertiveness especially as female leaders and I've I've talked with all of you at one point or another about assertive and um, being able to provide feedback to people who maybe aren't willing to accept it and how to deliver that I mean I know you all are very kind individuals but where does how does that assertiveness play into your leadership? How does that look for you? Is it difficult for you?
1: You can be kind and assertive and it's hard because people expect you to be kind. And it's hard, I think about, you know, Sarah's talking about and Jenny, when you're when you're younger, people don't take you as seriously.
0: It's it's just interesting because as you say that, there's this common misperception that if a guy leader is being assertive. He's playing that role of being a leader. But if a woman who's a leader is assertive, they get labeled as a bitch or something like that. And so how does like, because I don't have that conceptual knowledge, how does that, how does that play into your leadership and how you address difficult situations?
1: There are some people that are just you're going to have that conversation, and you know the minute you turn around or walk away, they are running their mouth to their department or to their friends about you, and you just have to. It's hard. You have to get over the fact that people are going to say rotten things about you because they don't like that you approached or you addressed whatever.
0: Which is a, a lesson in leadership by itself, because mm-hmm. you're not going to you're not going to please everybody. But I'm just wondering from that female perspective. Does that hit you even harder? Like, if somebody is talking behind my back after I have a conversation, it's like, oh well, whatever. I just I shrug it off. But I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I'm a man in a leadership position. Does it bother you more? How, I mean, how does how, how does that impact?
3: You you need to remember you're also talking to three women who have empathy very much. <laughs> in our
0: are, are you saying that I don't have empathy? I'm so saying you don't have <laughs>
3: So I think I do think it's twofold because we three, that's what we all have in common, are very empathetic leaders. Mm -hmm. And so we are able to put ourselves in other shoes. Not that you can't. I don't mean that you can't, Jay. But for us, it's we we lead by emoting. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it is hard and it is a double standard sometimes, not with everybody. But I know that I'm being called a bitch behind my back. When I'm super assertive and I know that if my husband said the same thing to the same people, it would be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard and you just have to reflect and really try to rationalize that that that, that is the reality that we live in. And I, I mean, both all of us just try to really put ourselves in their shoes when we are being direct and kind of explain mm-hmm. the why and hope that that
1: <clears throat> works I a little bit. Say, I think we all try to... We try to be very kind. We try to soften as much as we can, but still make the point. <clears throat> and sometimes, I think, as a woman, people are like, "Are you are you being serious with me right now?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you almost have to frame a conversation. Like I need you almost need to tell sometimes say I need to have a conversation with you, and people, you know, about this, or I need to have a conversation with you. Not not a big deal. We just needed to, to talk about something. You have to know the person a little bit to be able to frame it, but to let them know, like, this is a conversation. I need to address this with you. And, yeah, I'm serious. And sometimes, for some people, you do just have to come in hot. Like, I hate, and I hate doing that. I will lay awake at night thinking, I have to have this ugly conversation with this person tomorrow, and I've tried kind, and now I just have to come in and say, listen, this... It has to stop or you need to do this and it's just it's direct and it's not comfortable because you know what their perception is that you're being a bitch
0: jenny yeah you?
2: i definitely think i'm still a wet behind my ears when it comes to this conversation um it's only my second year he, uh, in leadership here at west side and my third year here at west side as an employee and so for me i just um I've always kind of, in my leadership classes I always, um, they taught us that you should observe for the first year and then kind of make changes after that. And so for me, I kind of, this is my third school district as well, so I've always kind of taken that approach everywhere I've gone. Um, And I like to build um, my confidence as well as my relationships so that hopefully those hard conversations are easier. But um, in this role I just feel like I haven't, fully got there. Um, I know it's coming. And so this year is going to be a challenge for me. I know it's a weakness of mine. And so just gaining that confidence and having a great team is helpful.
0: So what advice then do you have for whether it's females going into leadership or just people in general about having those difficult conversations, being assertive? What's the best... Sarah, you already said it. You need to emote a little bit more, which is what I need to do. So I I appreciate the feedback. But what what advice do you have? Because you've obviously been through those conversations. You've had some that were successful. You had some that flopped. And you always want to fail forward. What's the best advice you have for people on actually having the conversation?
3: I think, and I learned young from Don Gilpin, the best mentor I ever had, is that relationships are key to everything, personal and professional. Um, And the more we get to know each other, those conversations become easier because you get to know them as a person. So, you know, difficult conversation with person A is going to be different than with person B, Mm -hmm. and that's what makes it authentic and powerful versus... What we call no shoplifting signs, where you have the same conversation with everyone, and yeah. and it and it does it isn't really tailored to the individual, but yeah, relationships are key, I think.
2: And I, I guess I would just say believing in yourself. I think sometimes we just always second guess, or I second guess myself a lot, and just going with the instinct in my gut. And kind of just pushing forward, even though it's hard sometimes.
1: And I think we are really fortunate on our team that mm-hmm. if you know there's a difficult conversation coming up, talking with somebody else about, I need to talk to this person, and just kind of talking through it, almost practicing it so that you're hitting the right points, you're sure you're addressing it the right way. Um, and, the, you know, after those conversations happen, too, we're all very reflective. I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, it went like this, or I need to follow up, or... You know, we've even done things where, like, I'll check in on that person later on. You know, if, if I had a difficult conversation with somebody, maybe Sarah's like, well, I'll just check in on them later. So we balance each other very well when it comes to how we need to have those in the relationship piece is critical. Mm-hmm. You have to know that person.
0: So with that being said, and without naming names, <laughs> are there conversations that you're avoiding right now like you can play like I have a conversation that I need to have but I'm avoiding and why are you avoiding it the person's not here in the building yet <laughs> okay
1: school hasn't started I can't talk them and I there are things that need to be addressed with staff w we're, we're July 31st there are things that the way that the year finished last year some of it you need to let go but there are things that went on last year that even with changing departments this year I know I need to have conversations with some people saying, "Hey, I want you to know about this. I've spoken with whoever your new evaluator is. This is something they're going to be looking for." And kind of setting them up for, "Hey, you don't get you need to know that things we're still going to work on this or this is still a change that needs to happen just because I'm not your direct supervisor, this still needs to happen." So, it, it's it's getting everybody back here to the building and then saying, Hey and they can be they can be quick, nothing is super negative, but just hey, gentle reminder, even though I'm not your direct person, this is still gonna be a focus.
0: How about you two? Are you guys avoiding any conversations? <laughs>
2: No, nothing specific comes to mind. I mean, as I reflect last year, I think that was great practice for me in some areas of trying to have difficult conversations, Um, and it didn't always go as planned, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how you learn and you grow from Mm -hmm. it, and so um, as I think about this upcoming year, I would say not necessarily difficult, but just new conversations would be with the department that I'm evaluating, Mm -hmm. too.
3: I I was thinking I I don't know that I'm really avoiding any I think if I've gotten better at anything as I've gotten older it's having these difficult conversations and one thing I don't want to get lost in all these answers is that all of us have been on the receiving end of these as well right so (laughs) I I feel like again as someone who has empathy high I remember those conversations and I remember what didn't feel good Mm -hmm. and what felt icky when I was on the receiving end and so I'm really intentional I'm trying to make sure that whoever I'm having the conversation with um, isn't feeling that way. And also, just because we're an admin doesn't mean that other people aren't going to come to us and have Mm -hmm. difficult where we're still the recipient. And so we continue to be the recipient of those uncomfortable conversations. And I think how we respond as leaders is almost more powerful than when we're leading those conversations. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I think that's a sign of a good culture because we've talked about this, that... None of us is beyond reproach. Mm-mm, right. And if you have built up a culture in your building where people feel comfortable coming to you, whether it's by title or position, whatever, and feel comfortable enough to come and tell you, you know, I didn't like what you said here. I think a lot of times people equate difficult conversations with like negativity right. or yeah. anger or yeah. frustration. Right it might just be you made and keeping it into the I feel statements like mm-hmm. Sarah when you did this mm-hmm. it made me feel like this up mm-hmm. it's intent versus impact that was not your intent but it impacted me and I think being able to have those conversations and just being as we talk about it here at Westside about punching the shark you need you, we all have sharks mm-hmm. the question is why are we avoiding having that conversation and I think that is one of the Big keys to successful organizational cultures, especially in school, in large schools, is being able to have those conversations without it necessarily uh, being personal. Being
1: personal or being punitive.
0: Right. Because if they're not. You can can still be kind. (laughs) Yeah. But, Lois, when you did this, it made me feel, oh, okay. Mm Because when you know better, you can do better. So, if, because we've talked a lot about, like, the gender roles in leadership. Uh, which is why I wanted to have all three of you, the ulterior <laughs> motives here. Um, what advice do you have for people who are coming in to the teaching profession? Because it's a very different world than when you all were coming in. You know, we've come out off the back end of a pandemic. How how has it changed? What advice do you have for people because it's not like we have a pipeline of people banging on our door to get in here. Right. Why is this such a great uh, profession? Why, are you, why would you promote it to somebody? What, what should they be prepared for?
1: Because every day is different. And every day you have opportunities with kids. And if you don't know any high school, middle school kids right now, you need to. Because they're amazing and they're fascinating. And you have the opportunity to... Education, yes, there's content. You can't love your content, you have to love kids first. And so if you want to be a part of change and seeing children in society grow and develop into the kind of human beings that you want to have around you in the world, go into education.
0: That is such a nice answer. Like I would not have given it, Lois. I mean, you—you you, you have a way of putting things. And I'm like, ah, there's no way I can put that in that uh, in those terms. Jenny, Sarah, what do you think?
2: I—I I was going to say rewards. Um, the daily rewards that you get from, much like Lois, that you get to see, um, whether it's small, whether it's large. Um, I can. The reason I say rewards is there was a summer where I didn't teach summer school early on. And I remember I was young by myself at the time and July hit and I was struggling a little bit mentally. And I called it my reverse seasonal depression because it was July and I needed something to uplift me and I needed something (laughs) to get me going for the day. And so I often think about that month that was a little tough because I didn't have much going on. So just the rewards that students give you. I've been really reflective about this, sending a kid to college. (laughs) uh,
3: You know, what I feel as though my husband and I have really prepared Gavin, but so many of his life lessons he has learned from his teachers and coaches. And so I try to be, you know, if I could speak to a bunch of up and coming teachers, I would just tell stories of how teacher after teacher helped mold my kids. I'm going to (laughs) cry. but truly like things that I think I'm emote
0: I'm I'm recognizing that emoting and I'm giving you tissues you're
3: good you know just so much that they our kids don't even children don't even listen to their parents about and not disrespectfully they just don't but teachers are just such an important part in the development of our kids and just the
1: lessons it's well, in the development of us. Like yeah. I think about the teachers that impacted me and how they impacted me. I'm like, I can give you names and exactly what they did or said, and it might not. Generally, it wasn't the lesson of the day, <laughs> right? Generally, yeah. it, was, it never is. It never is. <laughs> it was something else that you that you learned in a, in a different way that was a life lesson that was more important. Yeah.
0: Sorry, my air tag is going off for some odd reason, but i apologize for that all right so we In the life of an educator I know, right, right? so we are believe it or not we're at 27 minutes like we're at the end of this but i've got to ask you all this question just because sarah already answered it but i've got to ask you again maybe she'll have another opportunity we have talked about white belt issues you all know what white belt issues are They're the ones that just set you off I won't go into the details of how it came up with white belts, but it has something to do with golf and not being very good at golf, but you're wearing a white belt. You must be pretty special. So I want to ask each of you what your white belt issue is in schools. The thing that just grinds your ears, like when you see it, like, oh my gosh, really? I can go first. My...
3: My biggest white belt issue in schools is truly just adults. And this is any, <laughs> any not adults in general, like, any adult that works inside a school that truly does not enjoy kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, you could probably get paid a lot more to do something else. Why are you coming into a building with 2,100 kids when it's clear, clear that you hate kids? That's my white belt issue in schools.
0: Okay.
3: Most don't. There's, it's just a handful.
0: Hmm, that's a good one.
2: Yeah, it is. <laughs> An obvious one. And I, and I honestly was kind of on the same lines of just like adults that um, can't relate or um, antagonize youth. And it's, and it's frustrating when we think about trauma and different things our kids have gone through. And not pausing and just getting to know that individual and the relationship, building it with that student, I think it... I feel like that's kind of like the white bell. You're too good mm-hmm. to truly take time to find out what the concerns are.
1: It, mine is going to jump together right with both of those. <laughs> Hold on. I have a picture of it here. Nope, not that one.
0: It is a podcast, though, so they're not going to be able to see the picture.
1: Never say, I had to read it, okay? Never say, that's not my job. We have teachers and people in buildings that say, that's not my job. Um, it uses arrogance and laziness. Chip in to help with what needs to be done, even if it's not your responsibility. Do what needs to be done or help someone find the solution, even when nobody's watching.
0: I love that. Mm-hmm.
3: Mic drop. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I, think, I, think I have to find the quote, sorry. <laughs> it's,
0: it, it's important because we can fall into the trap in education of saying, mm-hmm. that's not my job kids in crisis you don't necessarily know who that kid is or what it'd be very easy to just walk by the the kid who's crying and not say anything to him and just because well, that's not my job i'm not a counselor or uh i don't, i'm not an english teacher so i don't teach reading or writing or whatever it's all of our job i mean mm-hmm. if you work in this building if you work in a school everything's your job and if if you're not willing to accept that this may not be the best place place for you. Now, you can say that in a kind way. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a matter of actually saying it. And I think those are some of those difficult conversations that I've shared with you that uh, we've got to develop a culture where we can actually have those conversations with saying, you know what, this isn't the right place for you. I had somebody do that to me very early on by saying, elementary is not the right grade level for you. (laughs) They said, middle school, probably not the right grade level for you. High school, right on board. And you guys know me well enough to know why those conversations happen. But I think having somebody be honest with you and forthright Mm -hmm. with you and sharing that, uh, I think is really important. And so we are at the end of time. Uh, Think all three of you for doing this this is again this is the triple threat these, <laughs> these three ladies are phenomenal I'm glad that they're on my team um, and because they bring a perspective that I can't necessarily have and they also put me in my place too because they're not afraid to come and tell me if I'm saying or doing something wrong or i'm not emoting i'm not showing my empathy because i have it it's just buried a little bit and it needs to come out every now and then but uh thank you all again for spending this time with me that's the end of this podcast head on over to ownyourepic.blogspot.com check out all the latest blogs and past episodes of the podcast and we'll see you all next time thank you for joining me on today's podcast To find out more about Own Your Epic, check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.